listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Well, this week, a a young couple called and asked if I would marry them. And very wisely, they quickly asked, could we also do premarital counseling with you and Kristen? And I said, you know, you're very wise, and yes, that's a requirement, so we're going to do both. (laughs) But what a joy. I mean, what an honor to get to do that. And and in fact, um, I consider it one of my greatest joys as a pastor is to get to marry couples. I mean, think about it. We get to sit down with these couples, and Kristen and I get to share the different things that we've learned from God's Word on what marriage should be and and how to fight fair and how to do all these things. We we share maybe some of the, the wisdom that we've gained from maybe doing it right we also share some of the wisdom we've gained from doing it wrong, um, and we, we just get to walk with these couples, and, and it's just an amazing moment to get to go through that process with them. And then at the end of that premarital counseling process, I get to stand with them in that ceremony. I'm there with them between them and God as they make this covenant, uh, not only between themselves, but with God. I, I'm, I really uh, have a conviction to try to tailor a little homily just for them because it's this special moment and these couples think through all these details and it's this glorious moment. It's this great picture of faithfulness and purity and love. It's just a, a wonderful moment. A wedding is, a, is this beautiful thing that happens, and it's filled with hope. It's filled with happiness. And, and listen, my own mar- marriage and wedding, obviously, was this high moment in my life, and I had ugly cry as Kristen walked down the aisle, and I was just overcome by the, uh, just the awesomeness of the moment. But getting to be part of these weddings has been one of the sweet parts of our lives. And further, the experience has only gotten sweeter over the years uh, because not only have we just gotten to be with more couples, but it forces us to kind of slow down and kind of reflect upon our own marriage. And so we kind of draw back and kind of do a heart check every time we meet with a couple. But it's this amazing moment of of wrestling with something that is pure and beautiful and glorious. We love getting to marry couples. Um, That season of of premarital time, you know, that engagement season, uh, it's a very exciting time in these young couples' lives. It's very romantic. It's, it's very inspiring. However, <laughs> however, during that time, there's some things that can happen, right? Like if you've gone through that season or you've been married a while, you know that during that time, uh, all that excitement, all that romance can just uh, run into the meat grinder of things like in-laws, and who to invite and who not to invite and who, uh-oh, we've got to draw the number somewhere. Who do we leave off the list? Who makes a decision about the color of flowers and, and who cares about these things? Do we get the chipper chicken or do we get the shrimp? And where do we get married? And all these decisions happen. And this thing that is meant to be this glorious, amazing thing 
Many times these couples come and just lay their burdens before us on just the challenges of that engagement season. What should be one of the highlights of someone's life can easily turn into a season of trouble and trial where they just want it to end. <laughs> just want to get to the honeymoon, okay? Uh, that's where they get sometimes. And Krista and I, Krista and I had a wonderful uh, premarital season, but at one point, my father-in-law pulled me aside. He leaned in real close. He looked me directly in the eyes, and here's what he said. If you elope, then I'll buy you a sports car. <laughs> now, I did the same thing that you're doing right now. I chuckled, and then I realized he was still leaning in. He was still looking right in my eyes. We both knew that Kristen and Kathy were not going to go for that, that he got it out on the table. You know, he, he voiced his opinion, but he knew that that premarital season can be just filled with minefields. Psalm 85 is important because... Uh, most of us experience this constant battle of not being overly troubled by the circumstances of our life to the degree that they rob our joy. It can happen for a premarital, uh, a couple, you know, in that engagement season where they're just overcome by the difficulties of, of planning for that wedding, that it ends up robbing the joy of the season. We can all get there. We can all fight that same type of battle. The circumstances, many of them we just can't even control in life, can come in and they can rob the joy of our lives. It's a battle to not let our circumstances dictate our joy. Psalm 85 is going to teach us that when your circumstances trouble you, you really need to do a few things. Number one, you need to praise God for his past blessings. Amen. Number two, you need to ask him for restoration and revival. Amen. And then number three, we need to believe that he will get you to the wedding feast. Yeah. Therefore, Psalm 85 is this charge that when our troubles overwhelm us, we're to praise, we're to pray, and we're to believe. I'm going to ask three questions here. And the first one is, is are you praising God for his past blessings? Look with me at verses 1 to 3. Lord, you were favor favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. What the psalmist is saying here is that in the past, you favored the land, but not today. That's not what's happening today. In the past, things were good, but they, they're not good right now. This is a lament psalm in this sense, that he's lamenting what's going on in the present. The present is hard. The present is not marked by favor. He has some sort of circumstance that he's walking through that is difficult to him. The land is not favored right now. So when troubled by the present, do you remember God's faithfulness in the past? Because that's what the psalmist does here in Psalm 85, is he goes back to the past. In that moment of present suffering, he goes back to the past. And in the past, God blessed his people. They were in slavery and he freed them. They were in the wilderness and he gave them a home. He called them into the land, but he went before them into the land. He knocked down city walls. He defeated the enemies of the people. He went before them into the land. They were, if you look on a map, the nation of Israel was this crossroads between all the superpowers in the world. So when the Egyptians were strong and they wanted to fight the Babylonians, you know where they came through first? They came through Israel. When the Babylonians were strong and they wanted to defeat the Egyptians, they came through Israel and defeated them first on the way. They were in this crossroads of the world, but yet Yet when they were faithful to the Lord and the Lord blessed them, even though they were small in number in this small country, always at a disadvantage, their boundaries expanded and their lands were enriched. However, when they sinned against God, he punished them. 
even to the degree of sending them into exile, if you remember. But exile is never the end of the story. And the reason is, as it says in these verses, because God forgives the iniquities of His people. He, he uh, covers our sin. Wrath and hot anger are not God's final and ultimate um, emotions towards His children. He relents. He turns from His wrath towards us. He brings us out of exile. The Old Testament is this proven history of all these things that in the past God has blessed His people. There's reason to praise God if this is your only experience with Him as seen what he's done in the past because in the past in the old testament we have this glory of uh, history of god having this steadfast covenant love for his people nothing breaks that love it's always there god's faithfulness is recorded in the bible for a reason we're to remember the past when we're in these present troubles we're supposed to go into the past and remember all that he's done for us however remembering should lead to praise and that's really where he goes Because as we reflect upon these stories, as we remember the past, it actually leads to praise. So what we remember and what we reflect upon is so good that that we naturally praise Him. Even in our troubles, we praise Him. We're, We're to praise Him for His favor, for His restoration, for His forgiveness, for His covering, for His satisfied wrath, and for His turn from mercy. The Lord has been favorable to His people. And listen, this isn't theoretical Bible stuff, right? Like this is our reality as well. Like like as I thought through that list of favor and restoration and forgiveness and covering, just all these examples came up in my own life, but even in the life of our church, what are the ways that he's been favorable to you? Listen, I I believe that one of the ways that, I, I believe we have seven plus years of God being favorable to us as a people. And in fact, if I were ever writing a book of, okay, tell us about getting into your first building, okay? I, the title of that book would be God's Favor, okay? <laughs> like it was just this glorious moment of twists and turns, ups and downs, scary moments, hard moments. But in the end, God provided for this in an amazing way. Like God provided funds from this, from your generous giving, from the generous giving of people outside the church. And we were just blown away by it in leadership. But here's the really cool thing. For three plus years, we've been praying for this space and we've been dreaming about this space and working for this space. And then here in the early weeks, the things that we were praying for the most was, Lord, we want this church to be for our community. We wanna reach more people here. You know what I've heard? If you're new here, you know what I've heard from some of our longtime people? I've had some people come up to me and say, I feel like I don't recognize half of the people here. (laughs) But here's the good thing. When I've heard people say that, they follow it up quickly with, isn't that awesome? Amen, isn't it? Like God's been favorable to us. Listen, if you're new, I'll just get this out of the way. We're not a perfect church, okay? We've got stuff we're trying to get better at and whatever. And the reason why we're not a perfect church is because I'm your pastor, okay? <laughs> but, but, but the reality of it is, is we have faults. We're not a perfect church. But at the same time, this is a good place. And God's doing good work here. And so we have this history of God's favor. But my question is, is are we praising Him for it? What are the ways He's restored you? And in what ways has, you, has He put back together what was broken? Listen, we like to say that we're broken people loving broken people. 
Listen, that's all of us, but what that means is, is that God has restored us in all these glorious ways. Listen, we're a church filled with people who used to be addicts. We're a church filled with marriages that were broken and struggling. And, and the, God, through His Spirit, they got to see the good news of the gospel, and then they lived it out and applied it to their marriage, and marriages were restored. Are we praising God for His restoration? How has He forgiven you? Listen, I think some of you might look around and say, man, my sin must be worse than all these other people around here. However, man, you're totally, that's totally a, a wrong perception of this reality. Now listen, maybe somebody's sin is more scandalous than the eyes of the world, but I'm here to tell you as a pastor, like the polite sins, those are the deadly sins in a church, okay? So, you know, if your struggle is something, you know, scandalous and wild, maybe even in the eyes of the world, or if your struggle is this polite type of sin, I'm telling you, they're both deadly, okay? And listen, God forgives all of that. Amen. Even in your trial, are you praising Him for the ways that He's forgiven you? Listen, today is Palm Sunday, and we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that day. He rode in on a donkey in order to pay the sins for His people. The point of all that is He covered our sins. He didn't just uh, snap His finger or, 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 or wink at our sin in order to forgive us. He did the work. He paid the debt. He atoned for our sins on that week. That's what He accomplished for us. And He did all of that so that He could cover over our sins. Your sins are, are covered. And I don't care how bad you think they are. They are covered by the blood of Christ. Because His covering is way more glorious than however awful you think your sin is. That covering is why He withdrew His wrath. You see, God's justice was satisfied on Good Friday. And, and Christianity is not this uh, Hail Mary's, do good works in order to satisfy uh, God's wrath religion. Christianity is this religion where uh, we're not walking around worried about God being angry at us because of what He did, not what we have done. The good news is that the wrath has been withdrawn. Are you praising Him for it? Finally, the cross uh, that, that cross work has turned God's anger into mercy. Listen, we know the psalmist was lamenting some sort of, of trouble in his life. We don't know what it is, and I actually think that that's helpful because it, it frees us up to kind of apply this to all the trials that we go through. And hear me, when, when your burden is heavy, let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In what ways have you expected God's anger, yet experienced His mercy? And listen, whatever that is, are you praising Him for it today? God's people have a history of experiencing His glorious faithfulness. We, even as a people in this church, we have this experience, this history of God being so good to us. And when we're troubled, when we're troubled in the present, we're to go back to those histories. We're to go back to those experiences of God's blessing, and it should lead us to praise. Praise even in our present troubles. Are you praising God for His past blessings? But that leads to the second question. Are you asking God to restore and revive? Let me read 4 through 7. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away all your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. 
So when we're walking through troubles and we go back and we remember God's blessings, what we end up uh, doing is we end up praising. But listen, uh, we're we're to uh, take that even a step further. We should also be going to Him. We should be asking Him certain things. We should be praying prayers about our present situation. Specifically, we need to be praying for restoration and revival. When we're in those moments of of brokenness and death, we're to pray for restoration and revival. Verse 4, he talks about restoration. And restoration is really just a returning back to something. So it's a mess right now in the present, but in the past it was better. And when we restore something, we go back to that. We fix what was broken and we're restored. Another way of thinking about this is uh, things were, uh, decay, are decayed now, but when you restore it, you take it back to its former glory. It's going back to the good old days, if you will. And the psalmist, uh, his, tr- uh, his troubles feel to him like God is angry at him. And maybe to some degree he is. However, the psalmist prays for a return to when it was good when God was merciful to him. You see, he believes that, that God is the solution. He believes that God is the one who can fix this problem. He, he's, calling, uh, he's asking God to take him back to the good old days when things were right, when things were as they should be. God is his hope. God is his solution because he knows God is the one who can restore. But God is also the one, the God of revival in verse 6. You see, revival is about bringing new life to where there's no life. And listen, as you look through the scriptures, you see God doing that over and over and over again, right? I go back in your mind to creation itself. There's no life. And how does life happen? Is it beakers and chemical reactions? No, it's, it's let there be light. Come on. And then there's light. God speaks it into existence, right. doesn't he? That's the way he does it now. Where there's death, God speaks life into existence. You see this all throughout the Bible, and you see this even in church history, in in the great revivals in church history. There are these great spirit-empowered things where people, uh, the spirit comes along and gives people eyes to see the truth of the scriptures, and they're converted. They place their faith in Christ. You see it in the scriptures themselves. If you think back to one of the greatest sermons ever preached in Acts, when when Peter comes before uh, the people in Jerusalem and he shares the good news of Jesus, the spirit convicts him. He gives some eyes to see they're converted they they believe in all of this they repent and believe the dead come to life this is revival when revival happens people rejoice they see God's covenant steadfast love as glorious and God brings them salvation however in verses four to four to seven we see a little bit uh, we see something different than we do in that first section you see he moves from remembering to prayer he moves from just reflecting upon and pondering what God has done for, uh, for them. He, he's, he's remembering God's goodness in those first three verses. And, and in those uh, moments, uh, uh, God has taken his people up out of the muck, out of the miry clay. And then he comes uh, and then he moves from there to where he's now crying out to God for help. Based upon that history, there's this call for action. It's, a, it's as if the psalmist is saying, enough is enough. I need your help. I need restoration. I need revival. He's praying here now. Therefore, Psalm 85 is a call to prayer. It's a call uh, to prayer for restoration for what is broken. It's a call to prayer for revival from what was dead. God can restore any relationship. He can bring to life anything that is dead. And God says in 1 John 5, 14, that when we pray with confidence, uh, He will hear us. So this is this call to confidently pray to Him on those areas that you're struggling. Listen, pray for restoration and revival in the face of any personal trouble. 
Maybe it's a broken relationship. God can restore any relationship. Listen, maybe, uh, maybe your struggle is, is the unbelief of an aging parent. Listen, God can bring revival to any hard heart, no matter how long it's been hard and no matter the depths of that hardness. God can do those things. Are we praying for those things? Maybe you are the one who needs reformation and revival. Maybe your struggle is, is, this, is this self-induced thing where, where maybe you look, you look back and you're just at this very stale and stagnant moment in your spiritual life. Maybe, that's, maybe uh, you're the one who needs prayer. Maybe you are the one who needs prayer to, where you need intimacy again with God. Listen, you can't conjure that up yourself. When you're in those seasons, you're to cry out to Him for help. You're to pray for yourself in those moments. How does Jesus... Uh, how does your own heart need restoration and revival this morning? He rode into, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in order to bring it to you. Now listen, one more point here. We're Americans, so we tend towards the individualism on things like this. Listen, where is the brokenness? Where is uh, the, the need for revival? Where's the deadness in, in, our, in our corporate experience? Where is it in our church? Are we praying for restoration and revival in our church? Listen, in our country and in our world, are we praying for restoration and revival in the broken places there? You see, when we face difficult days, we should remember the good works of God from the past. We should praise Him for them. But we should also pray. We should pray, verse 4, restore us again, O God, of our salvation. We should pray, verse 6, will you not revive us again? Listen, this is the pathway back to joy. It's God's steadfast love and crying out to Him. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, do you believe that? That's our third question. Are you believing God will bring us to the wedding feast? Look at 8 and 9 with me. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Listen, speaking from experience, when we're overly burdened by the difficulties of life, we're not believing that God is working for our good. When we're there, it's always a belief of, okay, does God have a good future for us? That's when we lose hope. That's when we get in those dark moments. That's when the circumstances of life, uh, we start believing the lies of the circumstances of our life versus believing the gospel. The grammar here is kind of interesting. There, there's kind of a turn in verse 8. The turn is from do this to this is my desire or this is my belief. So this is about belief here. Do you believe that God has a good future for you? Think about it this way. What is your greatest struggle that you're dealing with right now in life? How, is, how do you believe that God is using that for your good? That's kind of big league Christianity, right? Like, I just want to complain about whatever this thing is. But in reality, God is using that for our good in some way. Are we believing that He is? Are we believing that He's turning all those uh, things for our good? Again, this is about belief in the face of trouble. And He's gone from lament to faith here. Goodness is not His present reality, but it is His hope. He believes that that's what's coming in the future. Therefore, verse 8 and 9 teach us that sometimes we need to wait. That's the good news for you today. I'm sorry for some of you. God is telling some of you to wait. Believe in this. This is coming. But for the present right now, it's waiting. It might mean that you're in a season of waiting. But verse 9 says, glory may dwell in the land. 
but not yet. But where's your confidence in that moment? Do you believe that that glory is coming? Are you confidently waiting on him to bring it? Do you believe that shalom is coming? Shalom is this great Hebrew world that, that encompasses all this wholeness and all this goodness and all this righteousness that he promises. It's this blessed hope of ours. Do we believe that that is coming? God promises us peace, but do we, do we, do we, do we, do we believe that that is coming in the future? Do we believe is shalom is our future? Is that our hope? Or do we think, listen, this is just all that there is. Do we have a hope of something better? Let's look at this final glorious description of the promised shalom. This is 10 to 13. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. And righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. In the end... No matter the struggles in your life, God is going to bring us to joy and harmony. He's going to bring us to a wedding feast. He's going to bring us to a place where all this comes together. You see, our future is not just marked by love, but the kind of love that is faithful and remains steadfast and true. Like our, our future, the one that he promises us, is marked by righteousness. So are things operating as they should, but not in some sort of forced way, but, but righteousness and harmony with peace. What a glorious moment, right? But like think about it, our future is going to be marked by faithfulness, but, but that's not going to be a fight. It, it's just going to naturally spring up from the ground like, a, like this spring of water coming up. And it's going to bubble up, in fact, even in abundance. That's what our future is going to hold. Goodness won't be this rare, refreshing experience that we see. But goodness is going to be this overarching governing, governing principle. It's going to be the norm. This is, there, there will be harmony in all of these things. What a glorious future. God will hear our prayers and goodness and righteousness and peace and love will be our eternity. So be assured. Be, be assured of love and faithfulness. Be assured because God fulfills His promises. That's coming for us. Listen, maybe uh, you don't experience the love you need in this life. Or, or maybe you don't experience the love that you deserve in this life. But, it w- but there will be a day when it is pure and when it, and when it is abundant and you're going to have it for eternity. Maybe you're, uh, you, uh, you live with a sting of betrayal in this world. But in the kingdom to come, that's not going to mark any of your experiences. It's going to be marked by perfect and beautiful faithfulness. Amen. Be assured of righteousness and peace. God fulfills His promises. Wickedness and corruption will be no more. Do you believe that when you experience trials in this life? Amen. Do you believe that this is not going to be your eternal experience? Be assured of His goodness. Be assured of the wedding feast. I love the Psalms because I think they're just incredibly practical. They're poetic and they're beautiful, but they're also very practical. Most of us are like the psalmist here where we walk through very difficult things in life. We we have troubled days and we have to go back through all this and we have to go back and and remember because otherwise we're going to lose our joy in the process. Psalm 85 explains that Uh, when our troubles overwhelm us, we're to praise and pray and believe. So practically, this means that we are to praise Him even in the middle of hard seasons. You're going to walk through hard seasons, but can you praise God even in that season of lament? 
You see, we can always go back to the cross. We can always go forward to heaven. God has taken the eternal suffering off the table. Therefore, we can praise Him through any suffering because nothing uh, and no suffering in this world compares to the glory of the kingdom that is to come. The good news of the cross uh, and the hope of heaven is that it, it eternally outweighs any difficulty in this life. So we praise Him today. But listen, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray to Him in those times of needs. When those times where we're really struggling, we're to cry out to Him. We're to to authentically and genuinely and fervently cry out to Him for restoration and revival. He is the one who can put back the broken pieces. He can restore broken relationships. He's the one who, who speaks life into dead things. He answers prayer. Look to Him for the solution today through your prayer life. However, praise and prayer really ultimately require faith, don't they? What do we believe in order to get there? Believe that He is going to restore all things. Believe that He is going to bring the dead back to life. Believe that righteousness and goodness and peace and love will ultimately reign in this world. What I'm saying is, is believe in the kingdom to come, even and especially in the hard days. Really what this passage is calling us to do is to believe that the wedding feast is coming. There's a lot of great images of the end times uh, that that I enjoy and and that are so helpful to us. And they're helpful in those days when life becomes overwhelming. Maybe we caused it. Maybe somebody else caused it. Maybe nobody caused it. It's just what this life is. But in those moments, we're to go back to those images uh, that we have of our future. One of the best is is, uh, this wedding feast that's mentioned in Revelation 19. Let me read verses 6 to 9 to you. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then in verse 9, and the, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Listen, we're going to be part of that great crowd. We're, we're going to be part of that glorious, thundering worship. We're going to be part of that celebration. We're going to be at that marriage supper. We're going to get through all the the crud of planning a wedding and and all the trials of this life, and we're going to get to the marriage supper. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but He invited us into it, and this is our hope. Friends, isn't that better than anything that this world has to offer? Isn't that better Like, think of what the world is selling us. Isn't this better? Doesn't the glory of that eternity far exceed anything trying to rob your joy in this temporary life? Are you hoping in the day when, in verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace, kiss each other? What a glorious moment where it's all shalom. It's all these things coming together in this harmonious way. Things are going to be as they should be, as we dream them to be Are you looking forward to the wedding feast? No matter your troubles in this life, praise God for His past blessings. Ask Him for restoration and revival and believe that the wedding feast is coming. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father God, what a wonderful Scripture for Palm Sunday. Just reminding us of of Your triumph. This world doesn't 
This world doesn't seem like that. There's trials here. But Lord, we frame all of that in the gospel truths that we know that you have worked good in the past, that you've come and accomplished your will on the cross. And Lord, you've promised us a glorious future where all these things kiss, where they come together in this harmonious, beautiful way. Lord, may that be our hope in the face of any trial. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.